think there's an argument to be made that center forward is the most important position in the Liga Portugal. Huav uh, going from finishing fifth to uh, to getting relegated in one year after selling Meritaremi to Porto. Will the loss of Mario Gonzalez come back to bite Pondela in a similar way? We'll see. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But apart from Monorense Pondela, another interesting relegation six-pointer uh, came between Belenenge Saad and Vizela. Belenenge Saad uh, taking the lead at the half-hour mark from uh, Yves Barai, a Senegalese um, attacking midfielder, and uh, Belenenge Saad holding on for a one nothing victory. Let's 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 just talk a little bit about this Belenenge Saad team because... Uh, they are, I think, without a doubt, the most hated team in Portugal. <laughs> they have the smallest fan base in Portugal. And I think it's fair to say that just about everybody in Portugal uh, was rooting for them to go down. Um, and honestly, I mean, I I can't say that I want Belenenstad to stay up more than, for example, Vizela or Arauca, but I have to say, I've I've sort of like almost gained uh, some respect for them over the past few weeks because you know everybody hates them, every everybody wants them to go down, uh, and yet they just do not care. They they have <laughs> they have been stripped of their resources. They have had they they there have been so many months where we've basically just said, you know what, they're they're we can basically say they're done and dusted. They're going to the second division. And yet these, these guys just refuse to die. I mean, uh, I don't know how they've done it, but they've managed to turn things around. So uh, since, you know, since losing back-to-back games to Jill Vicente uh, and Passos de Vajera, Belenenstad have drawn to uh, Tondela to start off the month of March drawn to Boa Vista, drawn to Santa Clara, and kept clean sheets against both Boa Vista and Santa Clara. They've beaten Porto Manench, they've lost to Benfica, and now they've beaten Vizela. So with four games left, yes, they are still at the bottom of the league, but they're two points away from the relegation playoff spot, and they're three points away from safety. Uh, they still have to play Estoril Praia, uh, and Braga, two teams who I would say don't have too much to play for. Uh, Braga have pretty much sealed fourth place, and the Estoril have pretty much sealed their safety. Uh, the final two weeks, however, we'll see them take on Malikau at home before traveling to Arauca. Um, and and that, that match against Arauca, that could potentially determine the fate of both teams. But what have you made of this renaissance for, for Velen and Stad? I mean, they are really one of the better uh, informed teams right now in Portugal. It's very interesting because Velen and Stad, as they said, were dead uh, months ago, were dead. And now they are fighting for, for a place. Uh, they had limited resources, and uh, you referred that, and that is true. I think they are the worst spot in quality. Uh, of the of the, um, the league, 
but they are fighting with everything. Uh, they have a coach that is Franklin Carvalho that is doing a very good job uh, in this time. Uh, and it's a club that uh, they have a lot of difficulties, but they are fighting with, with everything. So it is very interesting to see uh, their form at this stage because they are they are doing everything they can to to maintain their place in the league. Absolutely. And as for Vizela, another a newly promoted side, since the start of March, they have lost to Santa Clara, drawn to Benfica, drawn to Malikao, beaten Estoril Praia, and now a back-to-back 1-0 defeats to Braga and Belenenche side. Uh, Alvaro Pacheco's side are just three points above the relegation playoff spot and uh, four points above relegation. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if they can avoid their fate of uh, 1984, which prior to this season, the only season that they had played in Portugal's top flight where they were relegated immediately after. Um, They have to face off against Aroca, another newly promoted side. They are going to also uh, travel to the Estadio do Dragao uh, to close out April. And then they've got, uh, they're, they're hosting Marichmo and then they're uh, paying a visit to Mororense and on the final match day. So we'll see what happens. But uh, how do you think Vizela have done this season? What, what are some aspects where you feel they, they need to improve on? What are some aspects that you think they've probably overachieved that? The, the case of Vizela was very, very difficult in the perspective that Vizela uh, is a team that two years or three years ago they were in Campeonato Portugal, uh, that now uh, is uh, a little bit different, but they were at Campeonato Portugal and now they are playing the first league and they have some players that were uh, on the team at that stage. And I think they are doing a, a great work for the resources they have. Um, they build a, an interesting spot. Uh, they have a very good manager, Albert Pacheco. Um, I think that if Vizela uh, uh, keeps a place in the, the first league, that would be a very good uh, news because um, they are... Uh, Interesting project with uh, low resources is true, but uh, with a good work and um, and they are trying to to be uh, as a positive side in the entire league. I'm gonna put you on the spot now, Antonio. Which two teams are going down? Which team is going to be playing in the relegation playoff spot? Which teams are going to avoid the drop? <laughs> It's a very difficult question, but I think Sondela and Europa uh, probably will uh, will be directly dispromoted, and I think Belenenstad uh, will go to the, to the playoff. It's a, a very, I think, bold prediction because the majority of the the, the persons will uh, put Belenenstad directly. To the second division and probably uh, Condela in the playoffs, but I think that uh, Blanes will surprise, continue surprising us in the last final 
hypothesis. Absolutely. Um, another interesting result, another matchup between two mid-table sides that ended up with a 4 nothing win, just like Ipodia against Passos, uh, was Marichmo against Boavista. Before, I, I said that Marichmo were going to win against Boavista because, you know, they, they had struggled for form in recent weeks, losing to Passos prior, uh, losing to Tundela, both of those from a two-goal margin. But prior to that, they had drawn to Gil Vicente, lost to and lost to uh, Vitoria. But they have done fairly well under Vasco Siabra, a team that I think could definitely be in for a big improvement next season. Um, but uh, a team that I, I think the perhaps the results have not gone their way. Uh, but one of the reasons why I expected them to beat Boavista was Gustavo Sauer, a player who um, was suspended for Boavista's prior win against Aroca, but recently moved to uh, Botafogo uh, with you know still just a few weeks left of the season. Gustavo Sauer has been really the creative talisman for, for Petit's side, been so important for them. And I don't know, I, I feel like there is sort of a feeling sinking into a lot of these Boavista players that they're not going to be around next season, that they'll probably follow a similar route to Sauer. I think that Pizar Musa, I would be very surprised to be still there. I think he'll end up going to Benfica. Um, a lot of other players, such as Nathan Santos, such as Yanis Amash, could potentially be on the move as well. But uh, yeah, Boavista are 11th in the league, seven points above Morenense in the relegation playoff spot, eight points above Tondela. So they've pretty much secured their safety. Um, I, I don't know if they've mathematically secured it, but they are going to be taking on Sporting, uh, Morenens, Vitoria, and Tondela in the final four weeks. Um, and honestly, mid-table is just about as good as you could ask for for Petit, looking at where they were at the start of the season. But yeah, w- w- what have you made of Boavista's performances under Petit? Is this just kind of a a shock result, uh, an exception from the rule? I think, uh, yes, he uh, is a very good manager coach uh, in the process, uh, in the defensive process. Uh, and this year uh, has shown uh, uh, a good capacity on the offensive part of the game. Uh, of course, Bovista has good, uh, has good players like Gustavo Sauer has. Uh, a, a youth player like Peter Musa uh, that I think uh, it will probably go to Benfica or to another club because uh, he's an amazing striker. But at this stage, uh, okay, Maritimo is, uh, Maritimo is a very interesting team with uh, very interesting players like Joel, like Matheus Costa, that is a huge surprise uh, as Claudio Inc., etc. Uh, as uh, they they have a very good coach like Vasco I think at this stage a four nil it's a very surprising result uh, for the conditions, but Maritim deserves that result, and they they um, with Vasco they are making a very very good job. 
if we re uh, remember where they were with Julio um, Velasquez and uh, their place on the table at this stage, uh, we can uh, easily think that Vasco Fiabra uh, is uh, making a, an amazing job. So, uh, very, very good uh, game for Marietim and a disaster game for Botisafai. Yeah, I really do hope that Vasco Fiabra stays in charge of Marietim. I like the team that they're building. Uh, he took over the Moderance job last season and uh, his contract was terminated a year early after his after finishing eight. Um, but I, I do really hope that he can stay at Marichmo and, and build this side because he that is one thing that he's lacked. Uh, he's 38 years old and he's already managed Motorance, Marichmo, Boavista, Mafra, Malikau. None of them for that long of time, but I, I really hope that he can build something long-term in Madeira. Uh, Marichmo are seventh and they will be playing in the Primera next season. So hats off to him. That, that was a team that, like Santa Clara, were facing the threat of relegation, but have, have since done fairly well. Um, so, yeah, hats off to them. I think that you have to give Siabra a ton of credit there. Um, Joel Tago, though, the first... Joel is you know a Cameroonian striker, born uh, in Cameroon, but moved to Brazil at a young age, came over to Marichmo a few years prior, and is now... Uh, and then putting in the first hat trick in the Primera Liga for a Marichima player um, since 2009. So a long time for, for, for that to happen. And I, I really want to just uh, take a moment to, to give him some credit. Uh, first player to score a hat trick in the league since Senegalese striker Baba Diawara. And now the fourth all-time top scorer in Marishmo history, four goals behind Baba Diawara, 11 behind Ed Milshin, and uh, 22 behind Canadian Alex Bonburi. Um, what have you made of Joel since he came to Portugal? Uh, Joel is a very interesting striker. Uh, I think that uh, since he came to Portugal, uh, very powerful, very quick, very aggressive, very good on the goal, scoring goals. Uh, and he, he is a striker that is very difficult for the central defenders to to, to defend. So uh, I think Joel had uh, a little bit of bad luck uh, with some injuries that he has had. So at some moment, uh, Joel uh, doesn't have the luck uh, to, to be more regular, to be more uh, competitive at certain stage of his career but I think uh, he's showing now uh, why why he is a, a great striker and uh, with Vasco Fiabra uh, I think Joel uh, finally uh, found a coach um, that can provide to him uh, an offensive game that uh, puts him in the the zone and uh, with the, the game to for a lot of and that is very good for, for a striker like him. Marichmo currently six points behind Vitoria, so probably won't uh, end up getting into European football, but honestly, in a top half finish is a fantastic result for them. 
Uh, they are level on points with Paso Stepeda, 36 points from 30 games, one point above Santa Clara and Estoril Praia. Uh, Estoril, uh, holding Braga to a 0-0 draw, um, coming off the back of three straight losses to Benfica, Vizela, and Santa Clara, which saw them uh, concede two goals in each match. Um, Estoril, though, it's interesting because there there was something similar uh, a month prior. We we saw Estoril lose back-to-back games to Sporting and Boavista, conceding three goals in each, and they responded with a 0-0 draw to Gil Vicente, uh, which saw them really, you know, play defensive counterattacking football, but also, I mean, just like just like they did today, just just like they did against Braga in, yes, um, in yesterday's match. This was this was yes, they didn't have that much possession, but they had a, a decent amount of chances to win. In fact, I would argue argue they were the better side. Um, 15 shots in comparison to Braga's 13, six shots on target in comparison to Braga's two, uh, playing against the Braga side that, shall we say, had European hangover, you know, the Chisaka, uh, their, their European adventure coming to an end in a really harsh way against Rangers in Ibrox. Um, we saw Yuri Medeiros, who uh, has been very important for Braga's attack, but Obviously, it got foolishly sent off in extra time against Rangers, and and you know, part since since then, since since that happened, and since since that saw Braga drop to nine men and basically have no chance of you know beating Rangers. Uh, it was no surprise to see him excluded from the matchday squad uh, and replaced by Miguel Fale, the eighteen-year-old. But uh, without Yuri. Uh, we, we saw a front three of Ricardo Horta, Abel Ruiz, and Fale, uh, overall just not able to penetrate Estoril. I was very impressed by Estoril's defensive performance and the way they were just really comfortable in, in handling Braga's threats. Um, I think that uh, I think that there were some players on Braga who did actually okay. I thought Jan Koto. Uh, was was pretty good in the right wing back position, but overall very stale performance from Braga, who don't have anything left to play for. It's fair to say. Uh, but what did you make of this game? Both teams uh, were not fighting for for objectives at this stage, so uh, the result uh, is much um, equal for their situation on, on the table. So they are comfortable. They doesn't have nothing to fight, and it's natural that the rhythm uh, is lower at this stage. I think real tight, uh, real tight to um, to defend to at the counter attack score uh, a goal, and the, the that strategy is interesting because Braga this year has suffered um, with problems in the creation zone and the definition zone, so. Uh, that is very, very intelligent from Bruno Pinheiro to protect their defense with uh, a low block and uh, trying to, to find a counterattack uh, from using players like Leonardo Ruiz. Uh, 
and Braga, uh, Braga tried to to play the game, but it's very difficult after a European game. Uh, that was very very difficult, and unfortunately, uh, permit to render to go to the semi-final. And for for Braga, um, especially without uh, Vitinha and Yuri uh, played for different reasons, of course. Uh, I think uh, that uh, situation with the situation that uh, the team doesn't have any objectives uh, remaining on, on this season, that um, this situation gives us a result that was uh, 0-0 uh, for Sturiel Sporting Prague. Apart from a very good defensive performance from Sturiel, they were uh, threats on the counter. And one player who I think did very well was 23-year-old Brazilian winger Arthur Gomes. Uh, only two goals and three assists this season, but put in a very perform- very good performance in Caixcaix against Braga uh, with um, two out of five dribbles completed, three shots on target, two out of four uh, crosses, and two key passes. Um, I was very impressed with him. I'm curious what did, did you get a sense of Arthur in this previous match? Arthur is a, a very interesting winger. The, um, the first time I looked uh, to Arthur um, with, um, with that criteria was against Porto uh, in the game that Arthur scored uh, one of the two goals you, you referred uh, and was a great goal against, uh, against Porto. So, I think uh, Arthur is showing that he's a very interesting winger with a lot of potential. And I think in the context of Sturil, uh, that is a good context for youth talent to, to grow. And we have a lot of uh, examples in the past uh, on Sturil of Mark Silva, for example. Uh, but in this Sturil also with Bernard Vital, with Ferraresi, with Fanny Figueira, etc. Um, uh, I think that uh, Arthur uh, will also grow um, with, with that good context uh, globally. Absolutely, yeah. I think that Estoril, uh, they they've done a very impressive season, have dropped off since the start of the season, but at the end of the day, safety is the only objective they can ask for. Another team that have, I think, perhaps the opposite of Marichimo, team that started brightly and have since fallen off, uh, is Portemonech. Portemonech, um, for the first time, really, all season, it, it seems like their status in the top flight is not secure. Uh, they haven't guaranteed it yet. They haven't guaranteed their safety. And with four games left, they are seven points above Tondela, seven points above safety, six points above the relegation playoff spot. And currently with 32 points from 30 games and currently in 12th place. But if we look at their form since the start of February, they are actually the worst team in the league. They have been, uh, frankly, terrible under Paulo Sergio in recent weeks. Um, apart from their one nothing win, against uh, Famalicao on April 10th, which was their first win 
uh, of the entire year. And their first win, actually, since beating Malikao in December. Uh, apart from that win, they have picked up, prior to that win against Malikao, they had uh, lost four straight matches to Don Enchsad, Braga, Estoril, and Benfica. And prior to that, had drawn uh, four straight. Um, so they've been very, very poor. And uh, one of the biggest reasons, I think, has been something that a lot, pretty much every uh, mid-table, bottom-half Portuguese side has had to suffer from, and that's key departures. Portimanche, uh they ended up, they, they were forced to sell Beto, their uh, fantastic young striker, on deadline day uh, to Udinese after the Portuguese strikers submitted a transfer request. Um, they, so they did not replace Beto. Uh, in the January window, they sold Balicande, uh, who was the who, who was really one of the breakthrough sensations uh, at left back. They also sold Ailton Boamort, who, funny enough, uh, had scored the, uh, the, the goal for Portimonense's last win in the league. Up against Morenense back in December, uh, prior to beating Famalicão, um, they they had beaten Famalicão just a week after the Morenense game in December, but that was in the cup. Um, but so they lost Boamort and Kande, and uh, recently they have actually lost Lucas Fernandez going on loan to Botafogo, joining Gustavo Sauer. Uh, they've lost. Center back Lucas Postignolo, I believe the longest tenured player there, been around since 2014. A Brazilian center back who has been a real pillar of this team's defense, uh, going to a Chinese club. Uh, so their their squad has been rated of assets, and it's been no surprise to see them decline in form. Um, and that really reached a a fever point on Saturday. Losing seven nothing to Porto, um, which is the joint uh, most lopsided um, defeat of the entire league season, uh, alongside Benfica's seven nothing win against Belenenses Sad, a Belenenses Sad team that, of course, had nine men available due to the COVID nineteen outbreak. But it's a bit interesting because Porto when the lineups were announced for this match, I was very shocked myself. There were a lot of players who I frankly did not even recognize. Um, and basically what we saw was Paulo Sergio giving up. He gave up. There's no other way to say it. He gave up on any chance of beating Porto. Um, Porto Monench, let's not forget, have been the worst team in the league over the past few months. Uh, they had three players unavailable. For the Porto match, Shoya Nakajima uh, on loan from Porto, uh, as well as Wellington, the goal scorer in the one nothing win against Famalicão, as well as Lucas Posignolo, now in, uh, you know, now going to a Chinese club, but uh, three players unavailable. So instead of going with his strongest lineup available, um, Pablo Sergio decided to rest several players who were uh, at risk of picking up a suspension if they were to receive a yellow card. So 
players who were starters, such as Samuel Portugal, uh, Philippe Delbush, Pedrao, Ivan Angulo, uh, Luquinha. So you saw a lot of players such as you know, such as the goalkeeper, Payam uh, Niazmand, uh, the Iranian goalkeeper um, who had played zero minutes in the league prior to this match. Um, so it, it definitely provoked the anger of a lot of Benfica fans and sporting fans who, uh, who, who basically accused them of, of there being some widespread conspiracy between Porto and Porto Mansion. It's worth pointing out that Porto, they've had their fair share of corruption, uh, corruption cases in recent years. And in fact, the, the transfer links between Porto and Porto Mansion, they themselves, there, there have been some fairly shall we say, some fairly dubious, controversial links. Uh, the, the amount of players who've been transferred between these two clubs, that is something that should be investigated, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, in typical Portuguese manner, I think, uh, assuming that one thing immediately corresponds to another thing, and assuming there's some widespread conspiracy, honestly, it just, it just made me laugh. Um, I think that, if anything... It says more about about the situation of Portuguese football. The fact that a team like Porto Manech, with three players unavailable, you know, are basically forced to say, you know, we we give up. Okay, that's the situation for not just Porto Manech, but so many other teams. You know, you take away three key players like Nakajima, Posignolo, and Wellington. Fact is they're going to struggle to compete against Porto Sporting or Benfica. Okay, it's just how it is. I know that Porto Manenge won at the Estadio de Luz earlier on in the season, but uh, I, I definitely see Paulo Sergio's logic. Okay, I'm not saying I agree with it, but this is not some conspiracy, okay? You need to grow up if you think it's some conspiracy. Look, Porto Manenge, they have four games remaining. Morenets, Aroca, Sporting, and Marichimo, okay? Uh, so they'll probably lose to Sporting, and we'll see what happens with Marichimo. Morena and San Aroca, two teams that are fighting relegation, just like Porto Manech, okay? If Porto Manech do not pick up a point um, in the last four weeks, it's fair to say that they will be relegated, you know? Uh, and frankly, picking up points is not, it's, it's not a guarantee when you look at their recent form. So personally, I, I can see why Paulo Sergio did it. You know, to, to, when, when you have a fully, a, a, a full strength Porto Manenge side going up against Porto, let's say they, they perhaps had like a 5% chance of, be, of, be, of, of drawing to Porto, Porto with a full strength squad. Okay, you take away Nakajima and, uh, and, and Posignolo and Wellington that probably decreases to like 1.5% of drawing, okay? Uh, on the other hand, Portimonench, let's say they have, I don't know, I, I don't have the numbers on my head, but let's say they have a 40% chance of beating Morenets, right? With a, a full-strength squad, okay? You take away Nakajima, uh, Postignolo, you, you, take away, you take away players such as Philippe Helvish, Pedro, uh, Samuel Portugal, all those players who could, who could in theory have picked up a yellow card, uh, and 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 have them suspended for the Morenense game. Suddenly, that percentage drops a lot more. Okay, 
so fact is, it doesn't matter where you pick up points. The fact is, Portland Edge needs to pick up points, okay? They need to pick up points to stay afloat. Uh, so I think it was, more than anything, it was just kind of depressing uh, to see the narrative. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I agree with you. Alofesha was uh, have a pro- had a problem and uh, he made a choice to solve that problem. Uh, he gave up of the game. Uh, I think it's clear. Uh, and tried to to end the game with the less damage possible. It doesn't happen because Porto is an, an outstanding team at this stage. But I think it was a decision of Alferja to maximize his chances of picking points against Morens, for example, in the next week. So I think we can or cannot agree, and that isn't important for the case, I think. Uh, I think we have to respect the decision from Alferja because he, he is the coach from Portimonense. He he he's on the on the training on the games, uh, so he has all the the factors to decide and to make a decision, and uh, he made that decision. That decision had a lot of consequences, and uh, the biggest one is the uh, defeat from uh, to, to seven nil. So it's a very um, a very bad result and with a lot of consequences for the team, but uh, it was his decision, so I think it's that. Yeah, 7 nothing score line. I think it's explained as much as it is Porto's fantastic individual quality, as well as Porto Manche's rotated squad, as well as, you know, in my opinion, uh, the, the racist opinion piece that was published from Sporting's official website. Uh, on Meditaremi, who happened to score a hat-trick against his compatriot. Uh, I do think that, you know, the, the racist article that was published, you know, calling, basically calling him like a snake charmer, you know, saying he's come from Persia to do these circus tricks, you know, that, that was probably something that definitely influenced Porto's performance and their 7 nothing. And, and I also don't think that Porto Manenche are the only team that could suffer um, an embarrassing result like this to Porto. But it's fair to say that that, that 7 nothing win uh, definitely put a lot of pressure on Sporting, who needed to win in the following match in order to stay just six points behind Porto. They failed to do so. Okay, so we're going to wrap up our Cortellini's discussion by delving into... Uh, the biggest game of the weekend, Sporting taking on Benfica, a Benfica side that, uh, you know, just a few days ago were eliminated from the Champions League. Um, and yeah, it was interesting to see the lineups. Uh, Rafa Silva, who was Benfica's best player in the, in the first half of the season, in my opinion, uh, you know, injured and and uh, replaced by Jogo Gonçalves, who started in the Liverpool game. So completely unrotated Matt, uh, lineup from Nelson Verissimo from the, from the team against Liverpool. On the other hand, we, we saw some intriguing changes from, 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 uh, from Ruben Amorim because Mateus Reis, who uh, has been, I would say, Sporting's best defender this season, 
was suspended for this match. Um, and, and that was always going to be a massive, massive loss, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, Zuhair Fidal, who was starting on the left side of the back three last season, was also uh, was also injured. So with those two out, they, they, we, we saw Luis Neto on the right side of the back three, uh, Gonzalo Nacio on the left, and Sebastian Coates in, in, in the center, center back role. Um, and I don't know, I just wonder, we were, we were talking about Paulo Sergio's squad management, but I, I wonder if Ruman Amarim is not uh, kicking himself and thinking, you know, I should have told Mateus Reis to get a yellow um, against Passos or against Vitoria or against Morenz or against Arauca in the previous weeks. Because if, 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 if he had done so, then Mateus, you uh, would have had that yellow wiped out, essentially, right? He would have served the suspension. He would have been available for Benfica. Uh, it's very interesting because the question of, um, of Mateus Reis is very, very important because Mateus Reis, especially as a central defender, in my opinion, uh, is one of the best players of the season in Portugal. He, he, he's one amazing surprise. He's doing an outstanding season. And if we uh, thought about this game, uh, the space between Coates and Luis Neto uh, was the key space for Darwin Nunes to score the first goal, for example. And we have uh, we uh, we saw a sport with a lot of difficult difficulties in the in the attacking. They accused a lot the first goal, um, the stress, the result from Porto, etc. Um, and we saw a big figure that uh, uh, with Nelson um, a perfect strategy for the situation with Joe Gonçalves uh, to join to the defensive line and to create a, um, a five defensive line uh, blocking all the sporting game and directing their game to the, to the wingers um, Sporting was very slow on on the possession, so Benfica uh, reduced the space to sporting attack, and also increased their space to to attack. And uh, uh, Darwin Nunez with space is lethal, and we saw that in this game. And I think, uh, for example, Weigel was in the outstanding plan. Grimaldo made a huge exhibition, also. So. Uh, Ruben Amorim uh, was beaten by Nelson Nelson Verissimo uh, directly, and I think uh, the lineup from Sport was another problem. That is uh, the situation of Palinha and Pedro Gonçalves. They are both uh, they are of course very important players, but I think at this point, if we look to Gart and to Marcos Edwards, uh, they are uh, in better form and they can. Offers to the team better quality, especially on the on the attacking. So on the attacking attacking process. So I think that question is also important to to analyze the the weaknesses on the sporting side. But I think um, the most important factor for this game was the quality of the strategy for Nelson Verissimo. That in this type of game is very uh, very effective uh, and. To, to 
to win against Sporting. It was the perfect solution. And Nelson Paristino had the opportunity to, to train this, this formula uh, in the most competitive um, uh, pl- um, competition of the world, the Champions League, like uh, in the games uh, against Liverpool and against Ajax, for example. So, very, very good job to, to Nelson Paristino in this particular game uh, because he, he shows to explore the best uh, characteristics of all of these players and he had to use the success in this, in this game. Prior to this match, Sporting had won five straight matches in the league, uh, all of them with a two-goal margin. And in the pr- prior four games, uh, in, in Sporting's prior four victories, uh, three of those had seen Manuel Ugarte uh, starting in the double pivot alongside Mateus Nunes. The only game, though, that, that did not see Ugarte start was the game against Passos de Vera, um, with Paul, Joao Paulinha starting, getting a booking right before halftime, uh, being replaced in the second half by Ugarte, who would proceed to uh, grab an assist for Sporting's second goal um, from Nuno Santos. Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, I think that there are a few uh, individual reasons why Sporting will not win the league title this season as they did last season. I think that one reason is, is of course, the fact that they have had to play European football, which they, you know they didn't really have to do that last season. But also a lot of players dropping off in form. You know, Sebastian Coates uh, is one of them. Uh, Pedro Gonçalves, another big drop off. But João Paulinha as well, a player who I think started the season off well, had some issues with injuries. And, you know, since then, I think has not, has been unlucky by how good Manuel Garz has been. But I think that Sporting have perhaps no other option but to sell him and just allow Ugarte that starting spot alongside potentially Mateus Nunes, potentially someone else. Uh, if Nunes does get sold, I, I know that Manchester City are looking at him, potentially a midfield of Hidamas Morita or Ugarte. You know, we'll see what happens. But I'm curious, talk to me about uh, these two players, Joel Paulinha and Mateus Nunes. What do you make of them? Do you, do you think they could be successes in major leagues? Uh, I think they are two different phases. I think they can both uh, go to a club uh, in the Europe context and have success. Because if we think, for example, in Matos Nunes, he's a very complete player, so he has a lot of characteristics that uh, uh, value uh, increase the value of Matos Nunes. For example, he's very good at uh, the ball conduction uh, on the passing. Um, he's very intelligent. He's very good, of course, defensively. Uh, and he, he's on the great form. So I think um, Sporting will probably sell two or three important players this, uh, in the next season. And I think Mateus Nunes uh, will be the easiest one, he, the first one to go because um, he's the most. Um, uh, the player that increases the most in the in this ballot. João Palinha, I think he he proved last season he is a very good player that he has a very 
good capacity uh, overall, but especially in the defensive process. But I think he at this stage is not uh, the best form, and uh, I think he has to recover his confidence, his uh, physical capacity um, to be at uh, a level that we saw him to play. And at this stage, I think uh, the, the best midfielder uh, of uh, Palinha and Ugarte at Sporting is Manuel Ugarte. And uh, uh, we'll see, but uh, it wasn't surprising for me that, for example, in the next match of Sporting against Porto, Ugarte was the option to the midfield because he, he is younger, he is in better form, and he is uh, better. Uh, from Palinha, especially on the on the offensive, on the attacking part of the game. Yeah, for sure. I want to take a look at my friend Dieter van Gucht's question. Uh, which players do you see getting big moves in Portugal this season? I think that I think Darwin Nunez is a sure bet, uh, and I also think that Sporting sell two for two or three players. I I think Matheus Nunes. Uh, Joao Paulinha, potentially Pedro Porro as well. Um, from Porto's side, I'm I'm not too sure. I think they will have to sell a player. Whether it'll be Vitinha, Otavio, uh, potentially even someone like Merizaremi or Evan Nielsen, I, I'm not too sure. Gil Vicente, I think they end up selling uh, Samuel Lino as well as potentially a few more. Um, and I mentioned, I think Pitar Musa could be set for a move to Boavista. What are some other players you, you see getting big moves, Antonio? I, I agree with you. Um, Vitinha from Porto, I, I agree that will probably be the player most um, most easy to sell in Porto. Uh, Otavio, of course. You refer on Vitinha Darwin Nunes. Um, I would say also Grimaldo, Grimaldo and, and Weigel probably uh, can can go to another level. Um, at Praga, Diria, uh, I said, beating, uh, beating uh, again, but another beating up. Uh, so, beating up from, from Sporting Praga. Beating up. Beating up. Beating up. Beating The other beating <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, As you said in Boavista Petarmos, and Gil Vicente, uh, Samuel Lin and Fernando, I think Zé Carlos, for example, will return to Braga from the situation of um, of loan, uh, and I will say names like André Frank from Lille, for example. Uh, in Santa Clara, Lincoln is a very rising talent, and in Famalicão, uh, Simon Banz is doing a very good season. He is from loan from Lens, and I think he will go to another level. I think this player probably uh, would go to or to another club in the context in Portuguese context, or we can see, for example, players like Samuel Lino uh, to go to another another level because uh, we have a lot of good talent in Portugal. Sporting now nine points uh, behind Porto with. Four games remaining, as well as six points above Benfica. Um, overall, fantastic job from Nelson Verissimo in getting this win 
against um, against Benfica. Uh, I don't believe that it will be enough for him to get the permanent job. In fact, we did just record a Cortelinius last week on Benfica's next manager, Rul Schmidt. Definitely check that out if you haven't yet. Um, but from from Sporting's perspective, you know, I think that whereas Benfica, I, I love, I thought that they had a great setup. I think that. It, it's a great example. This game was a great example of why having more possession does not mean uh, being the better team. Because I remember Paulinho saying right after the game, you know, we we were in control. We we were uh, we had more possession, but that doesn't really mean much. I mean, yes, they had more possession, but that's the way Benfica wanted to play this match. Benfica wanted to score early on, as they did via Darwin Nunez. Uh, they wanted to be able to soak up pressure and really prevent Sporting from getting into advanced areas, and and they did just that. They really managed to uh, prevent the likes of uh, Pedro Gonçalves, Sarabia, Paulinho from you know getting into these areas where they would like to. And I think that that ma- makeshift back three with Gilberto, Jean Bertongen, Nicolas Altamendi with um, with Diogo Gonçalves. And Alex came up essentially acting as wingbacks off the ball. I think that was incredibly important. But uh, so, so credit to Wissimo there. But overall, I, I am, once again, I'm kind of disappointed by Ruben Amorim. And I think my biggest criticism of him, uh, he's a fantastic coach, but my biggest criticism of his teams have been their ability to, inability to face off against teams who sit back and try to play a deep block. Uh, especially after conceding the first goal. Um, we saw that with Benfica, you know, with Benfica essentially trying to uh, soak up pressure and yet still having a lot of success on the counterattack. Uh, but Sporting really unable to do anything about it, really just playing horizontal passes, uh, playing, you know, going to the wingbacks and Pedro Porro and Nuno Santos playing crosses into the box. They really did not have any ideas. and. I'm curious, do you think this is something that Sporting needs to work on? I agree. Sporting, uh, in certain moments, they have this, in, this lack of capacity to find solutions when they found a team with a solid uh, defense. And they were obligated to explore the, um, the pullback, but the, the possession of Sporting, for example, from Nuno Santos and the, uh, the, the possession to conduct the ball to, to Pedro Pouco was very slow. So uh, there was no rhythm of, on the passing on the passing game. And without that, the Benfica had a lot of um, uh, capacity and uh, a job very very facilitated to to found their um, their structure uh, always with um, with um, without being hurt. Um, uh, so it's very interesting because Benfica saw what they could do in in strategically and forcing um, students find solutions to. To, to solve their usual problem, uh, the solution in the second half uh, was to put Limarian to try to explore the situation of uh, 
for us things. But Benfica with Otamendi was with Jan Vertonghen was very comfortable. And I think uh, Marcus Edwards would be a solution if it uh, was earlier on the game. Uh, with, for example, uh, as we seen in, in the game against Condela, Sarabia, false nine, uh, and Pedro Gonçalves and Sarabia, with a lot of creativity, it could be a great solution. But uh, as a team, I, uh, uh, I think that Ruben Amorim for the future will have to find new solutions to deconstruct uh, this, this type of team. Yeah, Sporting, they, despite the fact that their title challenge is uh, done and dusted, they still can finish the season with two cup, type, two cup trophies. Um, after losing the first leg 1-2, they'll be taking on Porto at the Estadio do Regal this week. We'll see what happens with that. I, I Personally, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of changes in the lineup. would think that Mateus Reis uh, comes in for Luis Neto and Gonzalo Inacio goes back to the right side of the back three. Also think that uh, I would probably expect Ugarte coming in for Paulinha and potentially Marcus Edwards and Islam Slomani coming in for uh, Pedro Gonzalez and Paulinho. So we'll see what happens. Very excited for that match. But without any further ado, thank you so much, Antonio, for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, definitely want you to come on again in the future. And uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to say? It was a pleasure, Zach, and uh, thank you for, for the invitation. Um, and uh, uh, all you, you want for me, uh, I am available to, to be here and to talk to, about football with you. It was a truly pleasure. It was a pleasure for me as well, Umbeginho. And, uh, and yeah, I hope to be speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to yet another Cortellini.